now that we've celebrated the resurrection of our Lord, last week being Easter, what a great, uh, what a great time of the year. We celebrate the resurrection of the Lord every week, though. That's why we meet on Sunday. Just a, uh, but a great, uh, just a great time of the year. Great to know that we have the truth of the Word of God, and we're confident that He's alive and He's working in our lives and working in the world that we live in. Now that we've celebrated all that, what's next? You know, when we talk about the celebration of Easter, and we talk about uh, the celebration of, of the living Lord, it's very easy for us, if we're not careful, to fall into a Kind of a trap, so to speak, uh, to you know get to enjoy ourselves, and, and and there's nothing wrong with enjoying ourselves. Don't don't misunderstand me. And live, I, I enjoy. I, I've often said, you know, if 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 the Bible wasn't true and none of this was really worth doing, I'd I'd still want to be a Christian, and go to church anyway. I just love it. I just enjoy serving God, but. The truth is, the Bible is true, and what we do for him is very, very important. And really, when we talk about this, uh, I want us to just kind of soberly look at our Christian lives. Since we have, we know that Christ is alive, we know that uh, that. We serve a living Savior, as the old song says. What should we do now? What's next? Well, I want to talk to you for about the next four weeks. We've got a little short four-sermon uh, four series that we've entitled, So What's Next? And today I want to talk to you a little bit about the importance the, the importance of a life that is pure. You know, this is a very, the Christian life is a very practical thing. You know, as, as I said before, we get kind of caught up in the, in the joy and the celebration of, of Christ and, the, and, and basking in His love and in His grace and, and, and knowing that well, you know what? He he paid it all for us. We don't have to pay anything. We just accept the free gift of His love and His grace, and we do it all by faith. But there are some things that that are really very important to us as believers, as those who name the name of Christ, that in order for us to truly succeed in our Christian experience, there are some things that are very necessary, and one of them right at the top of the list, is a life that is pure. When we talk about the purity of life, the, uh, we're talking about living the Christ life, the Christ life. Um, we think about the Christian life, and 
one place to go to see how the Christian life ought to be lived is the book of Acts. We've got the, we've got the, um, uh, the history of the church. It's been a really a, an exciting book for me to study and to read uh, since starting this new church because, after all, the book of Acts is the history of the start of the church. And, um, you know, we look at what happened in the, in the first church, and, and by the way, we don't develop doctrine around the book of Acts. Do- doctrine comes from the epistles and, and other areas. But the book of Acts is a history book that tells us, that gives us a, a prototype, if you wish, how we are to build the church. And the church of Acts was extremely successful. The believers in the, in the church of Acts were, were, were people who really knew what it meant to live the Christian life. They lived the Christian life in a way that it ought to be lived. And so there's something there that we can learn uh, from that great church. In one sentence, the secret of the success of the church of the book of Acts was that the principles of God's word were integrated into their lifestyle. They, it, it, it became a part of their lives. In fact, you, you, when, when you uh, read about Christianity in the book of Acts, more than once it's referred to as the way. By the way, don't confuse that with a modern-day cult that has adopted that term as the name of their church. The real way is the way of God, and it's the way of the Bible. And, and, uh, but that's the reason that it's referred to as the way, it was the way of life for them. It was The Christian life was not something they did on Sunday, and not something that they did just when they were met together. It was their life. I mean, every part of their life was was permeated by the principles of God's Word. And that's why they succeeded in the way they did. Both as individual believers and as a corporate church. Well, the church today, and I'm talking about believers, because after all, we are the church. You know, we, we got to... We've got to always remind ourselves that, that uh, the church is not a building. Uh, the church is not necessarily a, a, an organization, even though uh, we are organized. The church is you and I. We make up the church. It is a, uh, a, a called out, uh, the very word church in the Greek, ekklesia. And that means a called out assembly. And we are that called out assembly. We've been called out of the world, called to trust in Christ as our personal Savior, called to meet together, called to be a body together. So we are the church. Well, the church, both individual believers and in and, and a, and a corporate sense as well, seems to have a measure of success today. But I would ask a question, are we really succeeding? Are we really, and and I'm not here to be negative, don't misunderstand, but I want us to be honest. I want us to 
I want us to look at our lives as believers. I want us to look at our church as a corporate body. I want us to look at the at the church at large, if you wish. There, by the way, there is only one church in the Bible, and that's the local church. The only way that the church of Jesus Christ is manifested is in the local church. But sometimes we refer to the church in a corporate sense, meaning all of God's children. Unfortunately, not all of God's children are hooked up to a uh, uh, to a biblical, scriptural church. And um, for whatever reasons. But the church today seems to have a measure of success. But we ask the question, are we, are we really succeeding? You know, we have wonderful services on Sunday, great midweek Bible studies. The bills are being paid. Thank the Lord for that. <laughs> um, believe me, I've been a part of churches where they weren't being paid. Well, I never forget the first church I took uh, had the poorest reputation of any church in town because they had financial problems and they weren't able to pay their bills. And I'd go in, that was back in the days before you used, you know, Visa or MasterCard or American Express to buy everything with. You had to have an account everywhere you went. You went into the hardware store and you had an account and you, you know, you signed off on whatever and and I was, I was afraid to go in some of the local businesses just because I didn't know whether we owed them something or not, you know. But uh, uh, by the way, the good news to all that is that God used us over uh, about an almost six-year period to bring that church to a position of being debt-free and having a great reputation in the city. But we seem like we're having a lot of success because we're paying the bills, because we're because we're having great times of fellowship, because our, maybe our attendance is doing really well. And, and we, we look at that and say, well, we're really getting it done. We're succeeding at the job that God has placed us here to do. And, and we kind of judge our individual Christian lives the same way. You know, if we're, if we're, uh, you know, if we're paying the bills and, and you know, we're having a, uh, having a good time on Sunday and, and having, going to a Bible study during the week or something, uh, we think, man, I'm really, I'm, I'm really getting it done for God. But my question is, are we? What are we doing in the world where we live when we aren't here in the organized church services? That's the big question. What are we doing when we aren't in a meeting like this on Sunday or in a Bible study during the week or, you know, how is our life speaking for Christ during the week and during other times? Are, are we really making a difference for the cause of Christ? Whether it has to do with us as individuals or it has to do with our corporate body as well. We're always the church, whether we're meeting here on Sunday morning or not. We're still the church. Are we making a difference for the cause of Christ? After all, our, our job is to be salt and life. Jesus said you're the salt of the, of the earth. You're the light of the world. 
And, and the world that we live in needs that salt and light very much. Are we making a difference? And, and by the way, I, you know, I, I couldn't help but think when I asked that question, well, now be careful now because you got to look back past yesterday. You can't even just look at today. You've got to look back at you. It might, you got, might need to look back past last week. It takes time to know whether you're making a difference for the Lord or not. Believe me, when we came to Nampa three years ago, uh, if I'd have looked back after the first week, <laughs> well, after the second week, the first week, man, we thought we'd really done a job. We were really making a difference. We advertised a Bible study that we were starting a Bible study in our in our living room, in our subdivision. We invited everybody in the subdivision to come and and man, the first week we had 13 people show up. And man, I thought, well, this, this church plan is easy stuff. I'm really getting it done. Next week, came time for Bible study again. We'd been out passing out these invitations and all this stuff. And came 7 o'clock, I looked at Pam and she looked at me and we was it. <laughs> Nobody showed up. So you don't look back. If I look back right then and said, man, are we getting it done? I'd have said, man, I'm a miserable failure. <laughs> but I didn't because I knew that God had a perfect time. My job was just to do my job and to be available to him. And it's God's job to give the increase. You know, it's like Paul said, they talked about Apollos and, 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 and him and their ministry. He said, Apollos planted, I watered, and or how, how God gave the increase. I forget exactly how it goes, but you, you, you remember that. The point is, am I making a difference in the world that God has placed me? Is the world a different place because of me, because of you? Because of us as a group, as a church, are we bringing others into a vital relationship with him as a result of our healthy relationship with God? Well, by answering some very pointed questions that deal with each of us in a personal manner, we can determine whether or not we're really succeeding in this journey, in this calling called the Christian life. So I want to ask you two very simple questions today. And when, you, when, we, when we answer these questions, I want us to, to ask God to just kind of wipe away all of the, of the excuses that we would make, all of the rationalizing that I might that I might do it helped me to just be honest with myself that's how I want you to ask God to do that with you I've asked him to do that with me and believe me sometimes the answers are not like you'd like for them to be but you know what the great news is the only person that needs to know what the answer to these questions are are you and the Lord and you need to be truthful with yourself because God already knows the answers. And if you will be truthful with yourself and you will answer them 
truthfully and, and with, with a, a submissive will to the will of God, God will help you to make sure you answer them correctly the next time you're asked them. So let's just take some inventory this morning. And I think it's good for us to do this. First question, what's my motivation? I'm serving God, so what's my motivation? You know, one of the things that is very easy for us to do if we, if we are not careful is uh, to basically serve God with the wrong motivation. By the way, I like it, that graphic. Christian life, right down the, the road there. I, I like that, Chris. One of the easiest things for us to do as believers is to serve God with the wrong motivation. And it, no one is exempt. Believe me, I pastored churches for almost 30 years, and I have, I have found myself having to stop and say, what's your motivation for doing that? All along the way. Because there are things that we can do that will be, uh, you know, basically when we stand before God, 1 Corinthians 3 talks about how we're going to stand before God. And some of the things that we produce are just going to be really pleasing to the Lord and some things are not. Some things are just going to be nothing but wood, hay, and stubble. They're going to burn completely up because we did them with the wrong motivation. Other things like... uh, with the right motivation, they're going, to, they're going to stand like gold and precious stones, the Scripture says. But why do we do what we do? What's my motivation? Am I motivated by the spiritual aspects of the Christian life or more by the mechanical? Eh, you know, call it what you want. I call it the spiritual versus the mechanical. The mechanical are things that we just got to do. We just got to do. You know, those things that we do. We do them because they need to be done, because we, we know that's our job. We, you know, we, or we enjoy doing them or, or whatever else. Or do, we, or do we serve because we're motivated uh, to, uh, it, by spiritual things, by the Lord himself? Acts chapter 5. You thought I forgot about that, didn't you? Acts chapter 5, actually I had, verse 42, it'd be good if we read the text this morning because it does have something to do with the message. I don't have a message of my own. We need to hear from God. Acts chapter 5, verse 42, speaking of the church in Acts, and daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ in the temple every day. And in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. He was on their mind continually, constantly. He was part of their lives. And that's where we, uh, we, we're talking about the church in Acts being so successful. They were successful because he was the answer to their lives. He was their motivation in every way. You know, most of us, as believers, we have or we are striving to have the physical, the outward appearances of the Christian life. We want to have a testimony as Christians uh, for, we want people to see us and say, well, 
You know, that person is a Christian. We used to have a little saying that we, we said back in the olden days when I was a little boy. I can remember it in school. We don't cuss, we don't dip, we don't chew, and we don't go with the girls that do. And that kind of describes a lot of Christians. We don't do all the wrong things, and we do do all the right things. We make sure that outwardly, we people are they know we're Christians, so we got to do all those things. Well, I'm not putting down doing the right things and not doing the wrong things. Don't misunderstand. But what we find ourselves doing is, you know, we're doing all the things like praying and reading our Bible maybe or attending church. We've taken care of the mechanical aspects of things. These are things that Christians do. But I would say to you this morning, if we will focus on the spiritual aspects of the Christian life, those mechanical things will take care of themselves. You know what? This whole business of serving God can be enjoyable. But it can be a total failure if you're not careful. Because if you're motivated incorrectly, if you're not motivated spiritually, you're not going to serve God for the right reason. The Bible in Acts chapter 3, in the first eight verses, talks about a, um, a man who was lame, who had sat by the gate of the temple begging for money. This was his way of meeting his physical needs. He basically sat by the gate there, and as people would come into the into the temple, he's sitting there uh, on a handout, and they'd see him as as a uh, handicapped person, and they'd give him money. and And in this particular passage of scripture, Peter and John were they were fresh off of the. Uh, uh, off of off of the day of Pentecost, fresh off of the day that they had celebrated Easter, they were, I mean, they were on fire for God. Walking into the temple, they looked over, and this man sitting over there, and he's wanting a handout. And Peter looked at him, and he didn't give him what he asked for. He's wanting money, and Peter looks at him and he says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. This fellow stands up, he doesn't just walk, he runs and he leaps and he jumps for joy. We used to sing a little song with the kids, do the actions, you know. <laughs> And praising God. Yes, I'm telling you. He was having a time. And had you told him before that Peter was not going to give him money, he might have been discouraged. But you see, the healing power of Christ met his financial needs. It met his needs by ending his problem and allowing him to meet his own needs. Instead of begging other people to do it. Jesus met him at his point of real need. He needed healing, not money. His, his, his symptom 
course, his symptom was just being broke. His symptoms were healed because of the root of the problem was taken care of. And you see, that's what happens when we, when we serve God spiritually. God takes care of all the other stuff. Because when we go to the root of, of, of our service the way it ought to be, God says, don't worry about, don't worry about reading your Bible. Don't worry about praying. Don't worry about, about going to church. All those things are going to happen because you're on track. When you love God and you, we sang about, you know, uh, that, that little chorus that we sang uh, was by design. That's the, the great commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and soul. I think we'll know that when we sing that song very many times. It's only words in it. But they're not, not bad words. They're right out of the scripture. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and soul. You see, by going to the root of the problem, symptoms can be cured. Like Peter and John, we need to be more concerned with things that are important. An intimate relationship with God, which brings, brings glory to Him, is much more important than anything we can do for Him. And don't misunderstand. I'm not telling you to sit back on the, on the stool of do nothing. I can remember my early in my ministry as a young preacher. I didn't understand this. I really didn't. I thought my job was to stand up and just rail on everybody until they got busy and did their job. And every young preacher seems to think that that's his job and is to just to motivate people one way or another. Well, I got news for you. God can do a whole lot better job motivating you than I can. It's, you know, it's, it's God's job to do that. It's not mine. But I can tell you, God will do it, and he will use you mightily. All of those things that need to be done, all those things that, need, that you and I need to be doing, we'll do them if we will just fall in love with him. And if we will fall in love with other people. When I came to Idaho, and I've told you this before, but I'll, I'll tell you again because I want to, one of these days you'll get it and I won't have to tell you again, but maybe I'm the one who needs to get it, right? Before I came to Idaho, I said, God, I don't want to go to Idaho just to, just to start a church. I want to go to Idaho because you want me to go to Idaho to start a church. I want to build a church because you love people in Idaho. I want to love them too. And I can't build that church unless I love those people in Idaho. And you know what? God said, okay. Gave me a great love for the people of Idaho. I wouldn't want to serve someplace I didn't love the people. I've, I've known preachers I never forget. When I was still in Bible college, I had a preacher friend who had graduated ahead of me, and he'd taken a little church down in Louisiana. And he'd been down there about a year. All of a sudden, he shows up back back in Springfield. And I said, What's, what are you doing? I resigned. I said, you resigned? I thought God called you to that church. I just don't have any love for those people. 
And I thought, well, you sorry outfit. But what he was telling me was that he did that God had not placed a love in his heart for those people that he needed to have to be able to minister to them. Oh, he loved them, but not like he not, he wasn't burdened for them. God hadn't called him there. That was the whole point. He'd gone down there and taken. You can do stuff like that. Believe me, you can get involved in the work of the Lord in areas you don't need to be involved. I'll tell you something, it's a safe thing if you'll just ask God to give you a, a, a love for him and a love for your neighbor. For if you love him and you love your neighbor as you should, all that other stuff's going to be taken care of. You know, we, we talk about winning souls and I'd like to motivate you to win souls for Christ. I'd like to... I'd like, to, I'd like to motivate you. I'd like to stand before you this morning and tell you uh, that it is the most important job that you'll ever do. It is to lead someone to Christ. It's so important. But you know what? I can talk till I'm blue in the face. You're not going to listen to me. But you listen to God, and he'll convince you to do that. If you'll just listen to God, if you'll fall in love with God, and you'll fall in love with other people, you'll want to share what you have from him with other people. You know, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about winning souls or whether we're talking about ministering to other people uh, that are already saved and meeting the needs of people that God lays upon our heart. We'll do that if we'll just fall in love with God and we'll fall in love with our, with our neighbor. It's just it's spiritual maturity. You want to know whether you're succeeding in your Christian life, just ask yourself, how am I motivated? Am I producing wood, hay, and stubble, or am I producing precious stones that can't be burned up? Let's ask the second question, because I've spent entirely too much time on the first. Second question is this, am I a responsible Christian? It's not deep stuff, folks. This is just practical where we live kind of stuff. First thing is, if you're going to succeed in your Christian life, you've got to be motivated the right way. Secondly, you need to be responsible as a Christian. Act responsibly. Am I a responsible Christian? Am I, am I taking my personal responsibility in God's service seriously? What about the job that I'm doing in the church? You might say, well, I don't have a job in the church. Oh, yeah, you have a job in the church. It's just not getting done. If you don't know what it is. Make yourself available to be used. That's everybody. If you're part of the church, you have a job. God has called you to do something. He didn't place you here. Uh, to, this is not a spectator sport, okay? We're all in the game. And all of us need to, need to find out what God wants us to do. And, and, and some would say, well, Pastor, you haven't told me what my job is. <laughs> Ask God. He'll tell you. You know what you're good at, don't you? 
You know what you you know what you're what you love to do, don't you? You know what you know how God has motivated you and how He's trained you. Use what He has what He has given you already. And I would just ask the question. Do you have a job in the church? And if so, are you carrying it out faithfully? Are you giving it some priority in your life? You know, one thing I can't help but think that it grieves the heart of God the way we look at our Christian service, we wake up on Monday morning and we have a job and we have a boss, whether we're self-employed or not, or, or employed by somebody else. We have responsibilities during the week. You know what? We don't let anything get between us and what, what, we're going, what we have to do, right? Well, we've got a paycheck coming. We need to be sure we do a good job for it. We, need to, we, we act as responsible individuals. And then we wake up on Sunday morning, what's our attitude like? Many times, and not everybody, and please don't think this is a broad brush indictment of every, every Christian because it's not, but many people wake up on Sunday morning and they wonder, well, I don't know whether I feel like going today or not. <laughs> that just fractures me that people can have can 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 have such a double standard when they're uh, their service for the Lord. And I you know and I know I'm kind of out of the old school and you'll just have to forgive me for this. But I just happen to believe that when you have a responsibility for God, you do it and you take care of it and you you do what you can. And and sometimes I I realize I I I may be a little bit ungracious when it comes to that kind of thing and I try not to be. I try to ask God to give me the grace to, uh, to know that other people don't, you know, they're not built like I am. They don't have the ability to do some of the stuff that I do physically and otherwise. I had more than one person last week. My wife fell before church, broke her wrist. Her wrist started to swell immediately. I didn't know it was broken or what. It was hurting, though. She stood up here and sung during the, sung a, Sung a, a solo to begin the service, and then sung in the praise team. And more than one person says, "Man, you just stood up there and like a little trooper that you are." And she is a trooper. I'll tell you, I thank God for her. But her attitude is, "This is my job." And you know, sometimes should she have stood up here and done it? Maybe not. I don't know. I didn't know. She's the only one that knew that. But in her heart, she knew she needed to do that. Our daughter Becky was born she was born at 8 30 in the morning the hospital was about two blocks from the church that we uh, attended while we were in college in springfield missouri and uh she was born about 8 30 and and uh sunday school was at 10 and i had a an adult bible class that i taught about 30 people and i could have got somebody else to teach that class for me i mean that, that church is full of preachers no way I was going to let that happen. 10 o'clock, I'm teaching Sunday school. <laughs> I didn't even think anything about it. But now people wake up with a runny nose or maybe, maybe, you know, 
Little Johnny's got one, so everybody in the family stays stays home. Excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm maybe I'm just venting a little frustration here, but folks, if we have a responsibility, all I'm telling you, this is not for me. Don't do anything for me. If you love God, you're gonna you're gonna want to be a responsible person. And and don't, man, I'm gonna tell you somebody that <laughs> Scott Simpson. Is going to have more, he's hiding behind the soundboard back there, but he's going to have more crowns or more, more jewels in his crown or whatever, more crowns or whatever it is when we get to glory than probably anybody I know. That brother is up at 7.30 every Sunday morning out here dragging that trailer. I mean, sometimes having to literally thaw out the lock so that he can get a key into the thing to open it. And I never wonder where Scott is or whether Scott's going to be here. Never. Because Scott is a responsible individual. And there are many others that are just like him in this church. And I want to tell you, this is not a complaint on my part to, to, to this group. I'm preaching to the choir, right? The, the people in this group right this morning, I look over this group, I don't see anybody that falls in the category of irresponsibility. And I mean that. Uh, if it weren't so, I wouldn't say that. But, folks, if we're not careful, we can get into that kind of uh, kind of attitude. You know, the easiest thing for me to do, somebody else will take care of it. Somebody else will do that. There's plenty of people in that church who can do that. There's plenty. You know what? There's somebody at my work that needs to know the Lord. And, and uh, yeah, I know. I, I, I have the ability and I have the uh, the proximity. I have, you know, the relationship but there are other christians in the in the office and they could just they could talk to them i think i'll just let them talk to them i'm tired oh me folks we got to be responsible to do what god's called us to do don't ever you know i i think part of it comes and and this is not an indictment of of another generation but Starting with my generation, we spoiled our kids. Now, those of you who are in my, in my generation, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Our kids, by and large, I can remember, actually it started with the generation before mine. Our parents came out of the Great Depression and they said, I don't ever want my kids to have to go through that. And thank God, I'm glad they had that great attitude, didn't want us to have to go through that sort of thing. But as a result, it just spoiled some of us rotten. And then those of us who are spoiled rotten have in turn spoiled our kids rotten. And then in turn, you know how it's happening. And on down the line, finally, the, if we don't, some, if somebody doesn't step up and say, I want to be responsible here, we're going to have more than one generation that's going to just be looking around expecting somebody else to do something for them. And it, whether it's our Christian life or whether it's, whether it's our work habits or or whether it's our financial life or whatever it is, folks, we've got to just be responsible. We need to be responsible. Am I a responsible Christian? And which brings me to the last thought. What about the job that I'm doing outside the church? What about the job I'm doing? I, I pretty much covered this. Is my Christian philosophy what I do and and, and what I'm involved in on a daily basis. Does it affect how I handle myself in every situation? 
whether it's family relationships or or relationships with your mate or your children or your parents or are you applying God's principles to your life? Or maybe maybe it has to do with your, your relationship with your employer or your employee uh, relationships. Your friends, your acquaintances, strangers. How do you act when you go to... Here's a, here's a great one. How do you act when you go to Sam's or Costco? Any Sam's or Costco employees here? Okay, I just want to make sure you know I'm not here just to bash Sam's or Costco. But I think Sam Walton would probably spin in his grave if he knew some of the stuff that went on at, at Sam's. This is just a personal opinion. It has nothing to do with anything. But a lot of times, some of the stuff they put you through, you know, you go, you have to be frisk on the way out to make sure you hadn't stolen anything, you know. They, got this long, they look at this long list of stuff, and you know they're not reading that thing. And it's got this, and they got the... Draw the line and be sure you're not stealing something. Just aggravates a dickens out of me. When I first, the first time I went to Sam's several years ago, it's all I could do to keep my Christian testimony. But that's what we're supposed to do. Sometimes it's when we're in the drive-through at McDonald's or we're at Sonic. <laughs> I've had some of the funniest experiences at, at you know talking into the little little speaker at your stand area. I'd like to have a, uh, do you want fries with that? You just be quiet for a minute. I'm telling you what I want, you know. And I just want to just kind of, just, they're doing their job. They're trying to tell, you know, trying to do their job. And, and somebody told me they do strange things to your food if you're naughty to them, so. My wife has convinced me to be very nice out there. Actually, it's not my wife that's convinced me. She griped at me for a long time, and I realized I've been a very poor testimony. For one day, I would come up and say, and if, if I were to throw a fit because things weren't going my way, and then I would get up to the window to pay, and lo and behold, oh, hi, Pastor. Oh, boy, that really, that really is leading by example, isn't it? How do we live on a daily basis? How do we live when, when things don't go to suit us? And I want to tell you, nothing will ever go to suit you all the time. There's always going to be those things that are irritating. We want to succeed in our service for God, but How? Let me quickly give you this because we are out of time. The church in Acts was tremendously successful. They, they grew in number. I mean, you know, we, we look at them, they started out with 120 people. Next time we read, there's 3,000 being added to the church on the day of Pentecost. The next time we read, and there's 5,000. And the next time we read, and they don't even number them anymore. They say there were just multitudes. I mean, the place was just, it was it was an exciting place to be. It was a place that, that, that God had his hand on. They were growing. And they grew spiritually as well. You, you can read over in, in, in chapter 4. You read, they prayed and the place was shaken when they prayed. They felt the building shake lately as we have a time of prayer together. Have you? 
Why such a great success? Well, I'll tell you the reason they were successful is that they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. They were filled with the Spirit of God. Look just at a couple of these scriptures. I gave you a number of scripture in your in your notes, but I want, I want us to read a few of them together. So, all in Acts, Acts chapter two, verse four says, "Being assembled uh, together with them, com- uh, commanded them." I'm sorry. Let me get to chapter two to help out in the right chapter. Chapter two, verse four. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Chapter four, verse eight. Says in Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost. Chapter 4, verse 31. When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Chapter 9 talks about how Paul was filled with the Spirit of God. Chapter 13, again, speaking of Paul, says he was full of the Holy Ghost. Uh, the deacons, the first deacons that were chosen for the church in chapter 6, were they were to be full of the Holy Ghost. Stephen, in chapter 7, verse 55, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 11, verse 24, talks about Barnabas, filled with the Spirit of God. Why were they successful? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, to succeed in... And serving Christ requires our full-time attention. That's all we're saying. It's not just on church days. It's not from 8 to 5 and then we're off. It's 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, living out the principles of the Word of God. Being filled with the Spirit is nothing more, folks, than... Then Christ consciousness, 100% Christ consciousness. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Spirit of God. What we're saying here is relate everything you do to Him and serving Him. And depend totally upon Him and, and not on yourself or, or someone else to get it done. Acts chapter 5 verse 42, the, the verse, the text that we opened with. It says, daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. That's how the believers in the first church got the job done. They, they succeeded because they made the principles of the Word of God their lifestyle. Their ministry w- wasn't directed to themselves, but it was to the Lord Jesus and to others. You know what? I was thinking of this, and... Let me just close with this thought. I've often said I'd like to be a man like King David in the Old Testament. The Bible talks about David and says that he was a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. Why do you think that he said that of him? Well, look back in the Psalms with me, if you would. Psalm Chapter 63, Psalm 63, and I want to just read these verses and we're done. David writing these words, here's a man after God's own heart. Verse 1, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. 
My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a, in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. David said, I want to see God working in my daily life just as I have seen him in the temple. He is an awesome God. I want him to run things every day for me. Will you bow your heads, please? Every head bowed and every eye closed, please. You know what? The most important thing we can ever do in our lives, we talk about the importance of a, of, of a life that's pure, pure in motive, pure in responsibility. But to begin with, it needs to belong to the Lord. You see, if you want to have a successful life, you need to have a relationship with God, and it needs to be through Jesus Christ. The only way to God is through Him. Jesus Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. My friend today, if you have not come to God through Jesus Christ, I invite you to do that. You've got to get outside yourself, though. You've got to, you've got to be willing to admit to God and to yourself that, that you failed the Lord and that you have caused a break in the relationship you have with Him. And it's all because of sin. Every one of us is guilty of sin, the Bible says. But God knows that, and He made a way to rectify that. Jesus went to the cross to pay for your sin, that you might have that relationship with Him restored. But you've got to ask him to come into your heart and life. You've got to receive the gift of his forgiveness. You come to him in repentance and faith. And I'll promise you, God will make your life worth living today. This morning as we end our service, I want us to, I want to give an invitation to those who may have never called on him. If you're not sure if you died right now, you'd go to heaven or you're not sure that you've prayed to receive Christ as your Savior, pray this very simple prayer with me. Mean it from your heart, and God will hear it, and he'll answer, and he'll save your soul. And you'll never have to worry about that again. Just repeat this simple prayer with me. Do it silently, and he'll hear it, and he'll answer it. Dear God, I confess to you that I'm, I have sinned, and I am a sinner. I ask your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus Christ died to pay for my sin, was buried, and rose from the grave on the third day, just as the Bible said. And so I trust him as my Savior. And I invite him to come into my life and to take charge. I thank you for loving me. And I give you my heart. And I give you my life today. In Jesus' name.
Our heads are still bowed. Our eyes are still closed. You just prayed that prayer with me. You become God's child. And the Bible says there's rejoicing in the presence of angels in heaven when one person calls upon him. You know what? One of the things that kind of captured my attention about that, it doesn't say the angels are rejoicing. It says there's rejoicing in the presence of angels. If you eliminate the angels, who you got? God is rejoicing today because you call on the Lord. When one person comes to him, he rejoices. I wonder with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. This morning you say, Pastor, I prayed to receive Christ, and I I just I want you to know that. Nobody's looking, just you and I. I'm not going to call your name or embarrass you or point you out in any way. I just like to be able to know that so that I might be able to pray for you in the future. And by your public testimony, you'll be saying, I'm not ashamed to know him. You prayed to receive him this morning. Just slip your hand up. I wonder this morning, there's a Christian who's been struggling and maybe it's it's been difficult. This Christian life has been difficult. Maybe you find yourself a little bit like I've been in the past and just going through the motions and doing the mechanical things and forgetting the spiritual and I like to pray for you that God will help you with that and that he'll give you a love for him and give you a love for other people. We all find ourselves in need of that kind of prayer from time to time. Someone have need for prayer this morning. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Just raise your hand, would you? God bless you, folks. God bless you. Lord, thank you for speaking to my heart this morning. I've truly sensed your presence in this room today. I want to thank you for just placing it in my heart to preach this message. But Lord, I know you have spoken through me today. Thank you for these people here today who've asked for prayer. I know that you've spoken to them. It's not been something that I've done, but something you have done. And God, just be with these folks who've asked for prayer today. Meet their every need. Lord, just help them to truly see your hand in their lives, that they would truly fall in love with you over and over again and fall in love with their fellow man. And God, just just encourage and strengthen every believer that's in this room today to know that God is working in our hearts walking in our midst, empowering us to do the work of God when we're totally surrendered to Him. Lord, thank You for the way You've ministered to us today. Lord, we'd ask for those, our church family who are traveling or coming back from from vacation, and many of them today, I know will be on the road. I pray You'll give them safety. Lord, bring them home safely and refreshed and and encouraged and strengthened and because they were able to take some time off. And, Lord, I pray that, that you'll, just, you'll just bless them with a safe trip home. And, God, may you use every one of us this week to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world that you've, you've ordained that we be.
Lord, we do love you. And we thank you for loving us the way you do. Thank you for blessing us. In spite of the fact we don't deserve it. We pray all of these blessings in Jesus' name and for his sake. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.